Hello, friends and neighbors. This is David Smith of Illinois Family Action with a special edition of our Spotlight podcast. Recently, I gave a Sunday morning exhortation at my church, and since we capture the audio, I thought we could post it here as a special edition for those who might be interested. In this 20-minute exhortation, we examine Acts 19 and Matthew 7. Now, in Acts 19, we find a demon-possessed man asking some Jewish exorcists a question. Hey, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Uh, The demon asked. Well, (laughs) whoa, my first thought is, this evil spirit isn't afraid to mock and even scoff at the would-be exorcists. The evil spirit actually wasn't intimidated at all. In Matthew 7, Jesus warns listeners he will tell many people on the last day, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. As we go into a new year, what can we learn from the juxtaposition of these two passages? Well, for one thing, it's very different if Jesus is saying, I never knew you, than when a demon says, who are you? (laughs) Big difference. So, without further delay, here is the exhortation. I want to start with um, uh, Acts chapter 19, 11 through 20 is our main text and the title of uh, my message is, but who are you? Acts chapter 19, verses, starting in verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, who went from place to place, attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirits, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. Now, there were seven sons of Seva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. But the evil spirit responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, I know of Paul, but who are you? And the, men, and the man in whom the evil spirit pounced on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Also, many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up the price of the books, and and they found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you set before us in every single page of your your word. Lord, use it this morning to stir us up. Use Use it to encourage us. Father, um, use, use what you've put on the heart of Scott and Greg and myself um, and, and help people here today be encouraged as we go into the next year to walk the narrow path with you, Father God. 
Uh, Lord, um, we just praise you and thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, the Smith family read the book of Acts. We came to chapter 19, which tells of the Apostle Paul's work in Ephesus. As I was listening to my daughter Jenna read this portion of Scripture aloud, I couldn't help but focus on the snarky response of the evil spirit who responded to those Jewish so-called exorcists. But the evil spirit responded and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know of Paul. <laughs> but who are you? Can you hear the snark? I do, loud and clear. Who are you? Well, my first thought was, whoa, this evil spirit isn't afraid to mock and even scoff at the exorcists. The evil spirit was not intimidated. For the next several weeks, I found myself coming back to this interaction, thinking about the significance of this passage and, and the contemptuous reply of that evil spirit. A week or two later, uh, I was listening to a Paul Washer sermon my son Ben recommended to me. It was about the narrow way to eternal life, and it was focused on Matthew chapter 7. During the sermon, Washer read this verse in chapter 21 and I'm sorry, verses 21 and 23 of 7, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. Once again, it seems to me that God's calling my attention to a related portion of Scripture. This time it's Jesus saying, I never knew you. Whoa. Right? It's one thing to have the devil say, I don't know who you are. It's another thing entirely. For the king of kings, your creator, God, to say, I never knew you. Right? Wow. Maybe I was more sensitive to this portion of scripture because I'd been thinking about the significance of who in the demonic spirit world knows us and why they wouldn't know us. In a manner of speaking, you can say my antenna were up. Yet I don't think it's a coincidence. In fact, I believe that as I was thinking about why so many Christians want to fly under the radar screen and not draw attention to themselves, perfectly content that hell doesn't know who we are, maybe they'll leave us alone. It was as if God wanted me to understand that it's one thing to be an, an ineffectual, unknown quantity in the cosmic battle between good and evil, but it's infinitely worse not to be known by the Creator God. So my exhortation here this morning is intended for Christians. Okay, It's intended for Christians. And I assume that most of you confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The sinfulness of our own hearts and the natural man. And our need for a Savior. God's standard is perfect holiness. Our only hope to attain this standard is through the, the perfect sacrifice 
of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can achieve it. If you've never repented of your sinful ways, asked God to forgive you and accepted his gift of salvation by faith, you are in danger of hearing those dreadful words. I never knew you. Nothing is more important than knowing God and his word. Nothing. So I encourage you, if you don't know that, figure it out today. Talk to your parents. Talk to Greg. Talk to Scott. Talk to me. Don't go today without having that settled. For those of us who are not ashamed of the gospel and proclaim the lordship of Jesus, we have certain obligations and responsibilities we have to fulfill as bondservants. Bondservants, yes. Willing bondservants of the Lord Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we're told to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. In Galatians 6, 4, we are told that each one must examine his own work. In Psalm 26, 2, the psalmist asks the Lord, test me and try me. Examine my heart and mind. So after we read those harsh words from Jesus, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. He immediately tells us the story about how the wise build their house on the rock and not the sand. And at the end of 2020, the terrible, and as we go into a new year, it is right and good to consider not only how we are building our lives in Christ, but to examine our foundation to make sure it is not on sinking ground. <clears throat> now that brings me back to the Acts 19 story. And those religious imposters in Ephesus who thought they could use the name of Jesus to expel evil spirits. We're told about Siva, who is identified as a Jewish chief priest who had seven sons who went around driving out evil spirits. Seeing the success that Paul had in getting rid of demons, these guys began using a new formula, petitioning the name of Jesus. They would say to the demon, in the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. We're told in Acts 19 that this strategy backfired on them spectacularly. As the demon they were trying to cast out rebuked them, saying, Jesus I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? The demon then turned on them violently. Scripture tells us that the demon-possessed man jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. They were no match for the demonic power they were toying with. The problem was they had no relationship with God. They were using the name of Jesus as a superstitious remedy. They themselves did not know Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus or preach in his name. And therefore, they did not have the Holy Spirit and the authority to make such demands of this evil spirit. It was not good enough to invoke the faith of Paul. He couldn't do it. You can't do it. You can't invoke the faith of Paul and the name of Jesus and expect something. 
just as it is good, it's not good enough to invoke the faith of our fathers or our parents and our Christian heritage. We can't do it. It's got to be yours. Things change when you come to know Christ as your Savior. Paul said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's very easy to talk the talk, right? We've got lots of preachers talking the talk. Great moves of God draw people's attention. Unfortunately, man is always looking for attention, and the world is full of imitators. God will expose deceptions and false prophets. The evil spirit asked, who are you? Being a chief priest didn't matter. Synagogue attendance did not matter. Position didn't matter. Fanfare didn't matter. A willingness to confront evil spirits didn't matter. A personal relationship with Jesus is all that counts. Those living a false faith will eventually be exposed and brought down. Now, immediately before the narrow gate passage in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns us of the false prophets who come into us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Jesus tells us that we will know them by their fruits. There were many so-called Christian leaders making prophecies about this most recent election cycle. Most of them are now exposed as false prophets. And their predictions did not come to pass. What is worse, some of them claim to have heard from God personally in special revelation. God is not a liar. God is not mocked. He does not tell us that he is going to do one thing and then fail to accomplish it. If you hear a Christian leader claim special revelation from God that does not come to fruition, it was not from God they were hearing from. Knowing that God and Paul had a special relationship such that they were on cherished terms, Paul was an apostle, and the last one according to 1 Corinthians. And because of this relationship, while the Apostle Paul lived, guess what? The devil had no peace. In the book of Revelation, we again find mention of the church in Ephesus, where Jesus praises their commitment to truth, their works, and their endurance. It says in Revelation 2-3, And you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. What a great report. Wouldn't you want to hear that? Good works, good doctrine, and standing up to the pressures of the culture. Yes, I want to hear that. But then comes this in the next two verses. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstead from its place unless you repent. Repent is mentioned twice in this portion of scripture. And the threat is, I will remove your lampstead from its place unless you repent. Repentance is key. It's not a one and done event in our personal lives. If you only repented once when you accepted Christ as your savior and think you've not sinned since then, well, the Bible calls you a liar, <laughs> right? 
Because we need to continue to repent because we are continually sinning. So it's not a one and done event in our personal life. And it's not a one and done event in our corporate life together. Whether or not the lampstead would be removed was conditioned on their repentance. Likewise, we must be constantly mindful, mindful of our first love and maintain it through repentance and good deeds. The church in Ephesus apparently did not, and their lampstead was removed, for there has not been a church in Ephesus for many centuries. Too often we are coasting on our past blessings, unwilling to repent of our worldly values and lukewarm response to Christ's call to holiness. Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. How concerned are you? How desperate are you about the shifting foundations beneath us? No, don't be anxious. Scott covered that. Don't be anxious. But are you concerned about the shifting foundations beneath us? The culture is drifting far from our Judeo-Christian roots. This is because many who self-identify as Christian are not willing to read the words of Jesus, let alone heed them, do them. In Psalm 113, David asks and then answers his own question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In verse 4 or 5, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the sons of mankind. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and his soul hates the one who loves violence. Scott covered this too. Yes, God is sovereign, but he tests us. He tests even the righteous. He gives us opportunity after opportunity to place our lamp on a lampstead to give light and direction to all who are around us, all those confused or and, and or deceived people. This requires sustained repentance on our part and personal sacrifice. In Dr. Erwin Lutzer's new book, uh, he includes a quote from, that supposedly comes from Augustine, and it says this, Whatever men build, men will destroy, so let's get on with building the kingdom of God. Don't you love that? There's the big picture. This is what we're working toward. To this, Dr. Lutzer says this. He wrote this. God is asking us to join with him in returning to our first love in lighting, lightning many lampsteads throughout the country. We need to remain diligent about sustaining the church as a beacon of light that shines in the darkness of today's secularism and humanism. If we throw ourselves at the feet of Christ in humility and faith, and with renewed courage, courage obey him, obey him, right? Then our lampstead will remain and not be removed. So I want to give you three steps that I think we should try to be mindful of as we go forward into 2021. Three vital steps to befuddle the devil. And it's nice to have a daughter that's a thesaurus. 
befuddle. Let's befuddle the devil. You with me, church? Amen. All right. Number one, committed Christians make the devil nervous. Are you making the devil nervous? Because our lives are supposed to glorify God and advance the kingdom of heaven. Committed Christians are those who are sold out, washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit, and equipped by the Word. The Apostle Paul says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you, am I, committed to Christ as Paul was? Are we that committed? What is Paul saying here? We must die to ourselves. Paul first stated, I have been crucified with Christ. I believe that Paul has reference to has reference to his own conversion. Paul taught this in Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Right? The devil doesn't care how many times you come to church. The devil doesn't care how many verses you memorize or how many nice things you do for your neighbors. As long as you don't grow in the Lord and become an effective agent. How about warrior for his kingdom? Number two. Praying Christians make the devil nervous. So number one was what? Committed Christians make the devils nervous. Number two. Praying Christians make the devil nervous because we are humbly recognizing and seeking God's help. Time that we spend in prayer with the Lord is more effective than the time we spend being busy for the Lord. The devil would rather have us work and be on the go, focused on tasks, events, programs. All of, all of that can be done in the flesh, can't it? You can get that done in the flesh. True prayer can only be done in and through the Spirit. The devil doesn't care how many people talk Christianity. He cares how many of us live it. Are we living it? John, uh, James 5, 17 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Corey Temboom on prayer says this, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter a realm where everything is possible. Because nothing is impossible with our God. And number three, forgiving Christians make the devil nervous. Because it is a recognition that we are not the center of the universe. Moreover, since our God offers each of us forgiveness... If we confess our sins, we are required to forgive. Forgiveness is remembering how much we have been forgiven. Right? Ephesians 4. Actually, Jim read this today. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Jesus insists that we be merciful like our Father in heaven is merciful. That's Luke chapter 6. We constantly repeat the same truth every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Forgive us our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. One of Satan's best tools is to get Christians working against each other. Let's not fall for it. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. Is there anyone in your life right now that you need to forgive? Christ didn't give a suggestion. He gave a command. So returning to the main question for my exhortation. Does the devil know who you are? The evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? At the end of Acts 19, we're told that many of the folks in Ephesus threw out their occult books and all their idolatrous material. Over 50,000 pieces of silver worth of unclean material were destroyed because those Christians now had the real thing, didn't they? That's the result of true revival. True revival. So, to wrap up my exhortation this morning, I have just a few questions as we prepare ourselves for 2021. <clears throat> Number one, would you consider yourself a committed Christian? Number two, could you be more committed to doing his will on earth as it is in heaven? Could you be more committed than you are now? Could your lamp shine brighter? Can your lamp shine brighter? Can your lamp be placed in a more prominent position? Can your lamp be placed in a more prominent position? Could your prayer life be more robust and more frequent? Can your prayer life be more robust and more frequent? Could you be more forgiving, more merciful, more loving? Could you be more forgiving, more merciful, more loving? Could you be more effective for living for Christ? Could you be more effective living for Christ? Are you living for Jesus in such a way that you have no doubt that the devil knows your name? Do you have any doubt? Does he know your name? Does hell consider you an enemy? Does hell consider you an enemy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that your spirit would stir us up. Whatever is true, whatever is good that was preached here this morning, whatever is good, Lord, help but to resonate in our minds this week as we go forward. As we consider our walk with you, as we examine our life, as Scott pointed out, to examine our lives, and as we go forward... How, we, how can we take our game another notch up? How can we be more effective for you? How can we shine brighter for you, Father? Lord, we want to hear those words in the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, 
Help us because we want to be that bright, shiny light that attracts people to you and gives you glory. Let, the, let your light so shine before men that they glorify your Father in heaven. That's our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.